this week on Dig Me Out. your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we're back with another one of our roundtables. This is a one-off, Jay. It's not part of any of our series. It is a one-and-done side projects of the 1990s. Are you excited? I am, but it's always possible we could do a part two. We'll see how this goes. We'll see. I mean, if we you know, do a terrible job of listing the number of <laughs> side projects. Uh, we're also going to, you know, get into the difference. I think this is important between a side yeah. project and a super group and even solo records, because I feel like those are distinct things that we need to figure out where the line is, where we draw the line on all that kind of stuff. So to help us do so, we have a couple of guests one new, one returning. I'm going to start with our new guest from Chicago, Illinois. He was supposed to join us on the Tori Amos episode, and then he, he took ill and was not able to join us. So we said, uh, come on back. And and this was the episode he wanted to do. Uh, Jim Lizkowski. Did I get that right? I messed that up. I, it's, <laughs> it's okay. It's tradition. It's tradition. I almost spit out my drink. Yeah, it's tradition that I mess up. <laughs> All names. Welcome I understand. To the this is this is my fault for being Polish. All right. You know, well, it's okay. I grew up. Uh, I grew up with a lot of mispronounced. Yeah. You, uh, you grew names. up in Buffalo and Cleveland. You can, you should be able to get these Polish names. Come on. I should. Sometimes the the emphasis is just just throws me when I start to see all the all the consonants butted up against each other. <laughs> they just. We throw, love to just throw Z's in there. Yes. Which is an underutilized letter, and I appreciate that it did get randomly thrown into people's names. Uh, so, Jim, welcome. Well, it is a tremendous honor to be on one of my favorite podcasts, music or otherwise. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> I know you've had recurring guest Jim Hanke on a number of times. Yes. Uh, and he hosts the Excellent Final Emergency podcast, and I... I was the one who encouraged him. I was like, dude, I'm hearing you on Chicago radio and you've got to have your own show because you know what you're talking about. And then, of course, I started listening to Dig Me Out on a regular basis. I'm like, well, these guys really know what they're talking about, too. And uh, so to nerd out over music is something I enjoy doing on a regular basis, being a musician and a music teacher. So awesome. uh, it's an honor to be here. Thanks. Uh, where cool. do you, where do you, what uh, level do you teach at? Well, I teach at a uh, private school based out of uh, Evanston, Illinois, called Fusion Academy, and it's like okay. I, I basically teach anywhere from, you know, sixth grade to twelfth, and gotcha. whatever genre they want to do, I'm willing to do it, even if it's uh, dubstep and EDM. <laughs> <laughs> okay. do, you, do you have particular instruments that you focus on, or? Well, I mean, I mean the usual, you, 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 guitar, bass, and drums, and okay. uh, you know. I, I just mainly focus on like 
the recording side of things and like Logic and Pro Tools and stuff oh, like that. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And then, of course, that voice you heard, Joe Royland from the. Uh, is there a part? Is is Gorham? <laughs> is there a name for that? Like Michigan has the UP, the Upper Peninsula. Is there a, a, a uh, term for that up there? They would either call it Greater Portland or Southern Maine. So. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Welcome back. Thank you. Great to be back as always. And this week, guys, this is a this is one where we got to figure out what we're talking about before we even start talking about it. We're talking about side projects, but when I looked up information to sort of tally my side pro- side project list, I got all sorts of conflicting <laughs> info. In fact, people on our Facebook page were like, "What's is this a supergroup or what?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, we're going to have to sit down and, and hash this out logically. So I'm going to go around the virtual room here, and we'll first figure out what a supergroup is, and then we'll get to some of our Patreon comments, because they uh, talked about supergroups versus side projects, and they gave us some side project names that you know we can riff on a little bit. Um, but first of all, let me throw it out to, um, to the room here. I'll start with you, Jim. What Certainly. to you is a side project? Well, um, I mean, I would definitely say that it has to be a separate entity from the band that uh, they originally are known for. Um, I mean, the music, I think, itself should be kind of distinctive or at least uh, you know, justify why the artist decided to take on a separate moniker or just take on a separate endeavor altogether. Um, I mean, it just, it, it needs to branch out to some degree from, from, from the original, from the source, I guess. And I mean, I think of something like um, James Eha again, though he's, he went and did a solo record, but at the same time, I think the reason why he felt compelled to put out a solo record in of itself was just because he wanted to uh, put out something that sounded nothing like the Smashing Pumpkins. Right. And I, I think of that as kind of like, you know, a, a good reasoning behind a side project in general. Um, but I think one of the more interesting crossovers that I'm sure would come up on this show is uh, is the Twilight Singers, because, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like uh, Greg Dooley, you know, was in the Afghan Wigs and then they broke up, but then he just started the Twilight Singers. And to me, that one, one of the first bands I knew about that a lot of people considered to be a side project at the time was the Twilight Singers because I think it was right. up in the air at the time as to like, well, are the Afghan Wigs broken up? But to me, like the Twilight Singers by, by an album like Powder Burns kind of sounded a lot like the Afghan Wigs sure. rather than being distinctive. And to me, I think being distinctive is kind of a criteria for, for putting out a side project record of sorts. Sounds as though 
I want to piggyback on that. Does a side project have to be happening concurrent with the band that the person mm. is in? Yeah. I yeah. Gonna, I was going to bring that up that the main band has to still be active. Otherwise, it's your main project then, right? Right. So let me get let me throw out this example for you. Stone Temple Pilots. Yep. They, yeah. The three members not named Scott <clears throat> Weiland form talk show while Scott Weiland goes and does a solo album. All indications were they were like on hiatus at that point because Weiland had, you know, gone to rehab and what have you. So is that a side project or is that just a new band? Well, Tim also in there, Scott Weiland also formed a side band called Magnificent Bastards. Right. They did, right. Uh, yeah. they did uh, one song for Tank Girl, which was Mockingbird Girl. And then they also did a John, Lovin, John Lennon cover on the Working Class Hero thing, but they never did a full album. Right. So here's one of the, one of the things I think is necessary. I think you have to actually make an album. Because if you just throw in like random songs that people do together... Like, there are a lot of soundtracks where, like, hey, let's get so-and-so and so-and-so and and let's have them do a song together. Like, Class of 99, that group for, like, uh, the the Faculty soundtrack, which was, like, you know, Lane Staley and and a couple other, I think Tom Morello was in that band. And they did, like, one song together, and it was for a soundtrack. And that was it. And that was it. So, I don't know if we really classify that as a full side project. Uh, if it never really produced anything besides, you know, one track, I feel like you got to, at minimum, you got to put out a record to document that this thing existed at some point. And then he ended up using that song on his solo, uh, album anyway, re-recording right. it. It's slightly different from what the Magnificent Bastard. I actually like the, the Tank Girl version better than, Me too. Uh, than his version. I want to back up to a, a little wrinkle that Jim brought in. I hadn't thought of too. Which, okay. Um, so I've been looking for like groups. So a side project could be solo, right? I hadn't thought of that. I so the James Heog example, there might be tons of those that I hadn't even thought to look at. That's or tricky. Consider. I think yeah. it has to. I think what he said though that it has to be distinctive and different from what the main band is is key there, because like yeah, you could include. James Eha, because that is like a 70s soft rock album compared to what the, the pumpkins do. But okay. I don't think you could take like Thurston Moore's solo album because it essentially sounds like Sonic Youth. It's mm. just right. Well, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. <laughs> Was Sonic Youth still together technically oh, yeah. at the time? Yeah. Okay, then that's a yeah. side project. Well, why why is it a side project? Because <laughs> it's not Sonic Youth. Well, they're all side but it sounds like Sonic Youth. That's fine, but it's not called Sonic Youth. I feel like you need to you you need to express express something differently that you couldn't do in the band. Well, he may have tried. It, you know, it just didn't come out that way. Okay. Well, here's well, the thing: you're opening a can of worms here. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, here's really going down the rabbit hole. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, Temple of the Dog. Yes. Now, now we would look at that as a supergroup, but at the yeah. time it happened. It was kind of a side project, but mm-hmm. also kind of not because, like, Mother Love Bone broken up after Andrew Wood's dead. Soundgarden's mm-hmm. still going on. So it's a side project for Chris Cornell and Matt Cameron, 
But as far as like Jeff Momnet and Stone Gossard, it's not really a side project. They're, it's just like a one-off thing. And then, you know, you have Mike McCready as part of that, and then you have Eddie Vedder comes in and sings on a couple of songs. But then that forms the basis for Pearl Jam. And then after Pearl Jam gets going, then you kind of look back and you think of Temple of the Dog as like a super group. Yeah. So it's like... Wh- right. I you don't know, think it, it is. It's all timing, you know? It is because that album came out before Pearl Jam released their album. True. So I think at the time, and I think if you have to look at it in terms of time frame, that's a side project for for Chris Cornell and Matt Cameron, essentially, because nobody else that was in that band from Pearl Jam was known at that point. Mm, right. So that's how I would dis- distinguish that one. So here's another aspect of it. Um, I feel like a side project really only contains one or two members of one band. And it has to be a well-known band. So like take the Temple of the Dog example. Chris Cornell is known because he's the lead singer. He's the front man. Everybody knows him. I don't think people who are like watching, a, you know, the the video for Hunger Strike are looking at Matt Cameron going, "Oh, that's clearly Matt Cameron." Like Matt Cameron's the drummer. He's not as well known. This isn't this isn't super unknown era, bad uh, you know Soundgarden. This is still Bad Motor Finger, so they're a little lesser less known. Right. So True. you can tell you can tell by Chris Cornell's hair. Right. At that point. Yeah. So to to apply that to another side project which would be brad you have stone gossard which is you're two years into pearl jam okay pearl jam is huge this is stone gossard's side project when when the album shame comes out sean smith was in satchel and pigeonhead at this point but neither of those bands made a dent on a, on a large scale so i don't think you can call that a super group because although sean smith had a major label deal and you know was putting out records they're not they're not big enough for it to be a quote unquote super group. Um, it's just a side project for Stone Gossard, is the way I look at that. Is that right. acceptable? Yeah, I, I would, I would yeah. agree with that. Okay. Yeah. So then taking that down the decade, I look at the Twilight Singers because they started when the Afghan Wigs were still together as a side project for Greg Dooley. Because mm-hmm. neither Harold Chipchester of Hollow Maggie or Sean Smith were well known enough. Now in Ohio, <laughs> where Hollow Maggie was well known because and and RC Mob that he was in before, that might be considered a supergroup. But in the rest of the world, that's not a supergroup. And I, honestly, I don't even know if it's a side project for Greg Dooley because he's not even really well known enough. I mean, he had you know a good career in the '90s, but it's not Stone Gossard of Pearl Jam, and it's not Chris Cornell. True, true. So it's really just another band to to most people. But that sort of then you get into like, is it a underground supergroup? I don't know. (laughs) Right. Well, like here's another here's another good example of that, and it's a band you guys covered, The Grays. You got Jason Faulkner who was in Three O'clock. Or hot minute. Then he, he was in Jellyfish, but he'd left Jellyfish at this point and he hadn't really started his solo career. Uh, but you also got John Byron, uh, Brian, who uh, also was sort of on the second Jellyfish album. But, you know, no, again, it's kind of that depending on what audience you're talking to, like to, you know, power pop bands, they knew who all these people are, but to everybody else, these people are relatively unknown still. Right. And is this a side project? Is this a super group? You know, it could fall under either thing, possibly. It's a real gray area. 
sorry. Yes. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, All right, so we're going to have to stumble through this probably with different definitions then. I, I think so because, you know, along the signs, uh, along the, uh, with the grays, it made me think of, you know, a whole bunch of other bands where you have like people who are, you know, a, a, an example would be like Imperial Teen, which is Roddy Bottom right. from, mm-hmm. you know, not that he's not Mike Patton. <laughs> so you're not, yeah. he's not as recognizable. So is that a super group? Is that a side project for Roddy Bottom? Where does that fall? Well, now you're making me think of Mr. Bungle. Yeah. Yeah, you could do a whole or, show on Mike Patton. Yeah, you got Love <laughs> Yeah. Lovage was another one. You know, there's so many. And how many? Oh, what? I can't even remember all of them. There's so many of them. Tomahawk. Tomahawk. <laughs> so we've tried to, like, sort of give some boundaries. We'll, we'll have to, you know, pick and. <clears throat> You know, choose uh, along the way as we're going through some of these bands. What do you makes a side project successful in in terms of their musical output? Uh, we don't we're not worried about album sales at this point, but just when you're listening to a record, are you do you want it to sound different than its main than the, the you know the main band of the of the artist, or are you looking for something different? Like, what do you of and you can give an example of like, hey, this one was really successful for me. I'll start with you, Joe. What, can you give me an example of a side project that you thought was successful that sort of set a pattern or a, or a template? Jeez, it's kind of a little bit of both. I mean, some of it's I wanted to sound something like the original band or, you know, at least as good as the original band. Uh, but also like that it can stand on its own. Like I like the talk show album. I thought that was pretty good because I'm a Stone Temple Pilots fan. Or and here we go. Here we go again. Uh, Imperial Drag is is it a side project? Is it a super group? I mean, it's kind of after Jellyfish, but it's two members yeah. from Jellyfish. Uh, and right. Then you also had Roger Manning who went on and did Moog Cookbook. All of those things I enjoyed. So for me, it's like successes. Do I enjoy it as much as the band that these people came from? To me, that's success. Not necessarily if all the rest of the public enjoys it and it takes off and becomes like a million seller or not. Is do I enjoy it as much as the music from the band, the, the bands these people came from? Yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely agree with that in general too. It's just, I mean, it could, it could certainly have elements or sound similar to what they came from, and that's definitely true with the talk show record. Um, and yet, at the same time, still be, still be its own thing, and and not necessarily like be an exact copycat either. And I mean, I, I remember at the time, I mean, this, this, this is obviously very different, but I remember when people were going crazy about the, the first Foo Fighters record because it sounded nothing like Nirvana, but it was still, it, it still had that Nirvana flavor to it a little bit, at least the first record did. And I mean, just, you know, I, I think that because we'd lost Nirvana, there was just like a, this instinct to go, Oh, I, I, I'm gonna love this record just because one of the founding members of the band, or at least one of the members of the band, the drummer, put it out. But then I, I kind of go to one of my choices would be uh, Sebado, and uh, I, I, I do, I do like them just a little bit more than Dinosaur Junior. That might be a, you know, a bold whoa. statement. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I, know, I, know, I know, I know. Whoa! Uh, wait uh, a minute. Maybe, maybe it'll just a, a hair. And. I, I... <laughs> Getting loose with the pussy galore. A cracking jokes like a thirsty 
Lullaby record's pretty pretty. Oh, I love that album. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, I, and again, it's you know mainly Lou Barlow show, of course. But I, I think that you know Sebado at least brought some elements of Dinosaur Junior, not necessarily Jay Maskus guitar playing, but um, at least some of the energy of that band to his his project. I mean, again, I kind of discovered Sebado late to, late in the late in the game because uh, I, I I had heard Harmacy. And then sort of went backwards uh, with with them, but I, I think to this day many of their songs I still put on a lot of mixes and playlists. Jay, what about you? What do you, what are some of the things that make it successful for you? Well, you go in expecting that it's going to either sound like um, sound enough like the band that's the anchor that it's going to make sense out of the gate. Um, I think when you get into the super group slash side band. Um, it's it's kind of nice when in your head you hear how all those bands can come together and then the record actually sounds like that. So Golden Smog is a good example for me. Like throughout that first record, you can hear all the different bands. Um, Temple of the Dogs a little bit like that too. You can hear the different bands. Um, in fact, a lot of them that we've talked about, I'm struggling to find one where it doesn't sound anything like the band that you're known for. Maybe the Rockfords. Just listening to that recently, it doesn't really sound anything like Pearl Jam. Uh Um, But most of them, like you can kind of hear the roots of the band, which is good. But from a quality standpoint, you just, you know, from a song quality standpoint, it has to stand up. You know, sometimes side projects, you have a tendency, maybe you're not spending as much time on the material because it's either rushed or it's in between something. So you maybe get some inconsistent material. So you, you really want it to be as highly crafted and considered as, you know, the the person's main band's work. Let's talk about Patreon and the comments that were made over there, which we need to thank our two new patrons who joined us, Joshua McDowell and Roger, whose name last name I did not get, but thank you, Roger, for both, uh, both Roger and Josh for, for joining us. They'll be commenting on uh, episodes and uh, sharing their thoughts like on this one. So let's go through some of these and we can talk about some of the stuff that uh, people brought up that maybe we haven't brought up just yet. So I, I list I had a, a picture up that listed uh, a number of bands, some that we've mentioned so far, some that we haven't. So people chimed in and uh, Scott Holbrum said, don't forget Tuatara. There have been a few times over the years where you've said things like, no band fits this bill, and I think, well, Tuatara does. Anybody familiar with Tuatara? Do you know who I'm talking about? I don't know, actually. I don't either. So, Tuatara is Peter Buck of REM. Mm. Okay, yeah, now I know who it is. Okay, Barrett Martin of the Screaming Trees, Justin Harwood of Luna, and the Chills, um, Screek of Critters Buggin', and it's an all instrumental band, huh? And it started. I guess they got together because somebody uh, they wanted to 
write music for, like instrumental music for a movie and then it just turned into a band um and th- so this and then also there's been other people in the band including scott mccaughey who's in the minus five which is another peter buck side side project yep. um yep so they're like a world music like there's sometimes like 11 people in the band on stage when they're when they play together so very like different from any of the bands that any of those people play in hmm. uh, so that was scott Hallgram's uh mention so davy bright said i remember some of the heavier bands of the 90s shifting their sound around a bit take lou from sick of it all and shane from napalm death and their side project uh which was called oh it was called blood in the soul and they had an album that that came out in 1993 called to spite the gland that breeds. So I guess it was an industrial metal album. And he also mentioned is that it had hardcore style vocals, drum machines and guitars. And then also Mitch from Nate Palm death and Don and Trevor of obituary formed a band. And I believe that was called meat hook seed. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yikes. <laughs> their album came out in um, 1993 called Embedded. And then they put another album out in 1999 called Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth or Bible. Um, and again, you know, heavier bands or heavier bands from both of those, but was more like he said, he describes it drum machines with shouty vocals and heavy guitars, um, hugely inspired by Godflesh. And then that year, which was also brought up by another commenter, uh, Alex Newport of Fudge Tunnel and Max from Sepultura formed a band, and that was called Nail Bomb. They only recorded one album in the 90s. And that Ian Wobble also mentioned that band. Anybody familiar with Nail Bomb? Uh, it sounds familiar. Yeah, it yeah. sounds familiar, but I don't know it. So, Jay, here's a question for you. Yeah. Are the helicopters a side project? <laughs> it started that way. It certainly didn't quickly turn into a main project. So that was um, Nicky Royale was race. in Entombed, right? He was the drummer? Yep. Yep. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I think I, I, I have a sense that that happened a lot more there. Maybe bands just kind of – people just getting together and playing and recording. And Hydromatics is another example. Yeah. Of uh, – uh, a With band the, like that. The great Scott Morgan from Detroit on the yep. vocals for that. Uh, Patrick Testa mentioned three bands that we should discuss. Number one, Boss Hog. Anybody remember Excellent. Boss Hog? Yeah, no, I'm definitely a fan. I, I kind of went down a, a John Spencer rabbit hole after seeing Baby Driver. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just that that opening, I was like, oh my god, I forgot how much I loved John Spencer Blues Explosion. It just and it had been a while, and I checked out uh, the Boss Hog record and uh, Pussy Galore. And I was just like, "This is this is really good." Yeah, that's a good example of a, of a side project for sure. 
the second one he mentioned, Replicants. Yep, they're on my list too. Same. So was that a full band, or was that just a group of guys who got together to record a bunch of covers? <laughs> they, they had an album on a major label. Yeah, I guess so. True. Yeah. And that was, um, but but again, is it? Are you going to call it a super group, super group or yeah. is it a side project? Because you got the guy, you got like um, Ken Andrews from Failure, you got uh, Paul Dimo from Tool. So which is it? You know, you got a couple of famous people from other famous well, bands, but but are they hugely famous at no, that point? If, it, if it had been like Maynard from Tool, right. what what? Maybe. And he just guested on like a track. Yeah, he so, wasn't a full member. If he had been a full <laughs> member, that'd be a different story. And then another one Patrick brought up is a band called Sausage, which I was not familiar with Sausage. It turns out is a side project of Les Claypool from oh. Primus. Oh, yeah. But it also features the guitar player from Primus. So I'm not sure how much of a side project it is if it's two-thirds of the band that you're already in. Uh, I guess it was just with a different drummer for an album. But he does a lot of projects outside of Primus. I I feel like maybe Primus isn't even <laughs> the main band at this point with Les Claypool. He doesn't he just go by like Les Claypool and the something something now? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Was uh we didn't talk about a perfect circle. You're making me think of that. Well they're two thousands, so I didn't include them. Yeah. Uh yeah. Years but Active says ninety nine. But At least first record started came out in '99, in... but the first album came out in 2000. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> here, here's one. Here's one. I'll be surprised if it isn't on Jim's list. How about uh, the Revolting Cox? Oh yeah, no, definitely. Ah, uh, Josh Ballard a... brought that one up. Mm. He said they even got into Beavis and Butthead without the name being censored. <laughs> right. <laughs> And he also said, speaking of Beavis and Butthead, got to mention Infectious Grooves. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I saw them live twice unintentionally <laughs> in the 90s. <laughs> what, you just they walked see... into a room and they were playing? No, like they opened for Ozzy once. They, they were just one of those bands, I think, because they were friends with a lot of bands in L.A. that they would just find themselves getting pretty, pretty good opening slots. So who was in Infectious Grooves? Remind me. It's Mike uh, Murr from Suicidal Tendencies, Robert Trujillo, who went on to be in Metallica, uh, yeah. and then Stephen and Ozzy Perkins. Osbourne's band. Yeah, and Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction. Was so is that a super group? Yeah. <laughs> no. According to Wikipedia, it's a funk metal super group. <laughs> well, Robert yeah. Trujillo was also in Suicidal Tendencies, so it was kind of half of them and half of two other guys. So, I mean, because, you know... Stephen Perkins is in Jane's Addiction. That's a huge band. Yeah, yeah. I don't and they know. were. That's on the edge. They started in '91 um, too, so this is and pretty Jane's big were time. Still together at that point. Yep. So, but what, I think the album didn't come out until like '93. Mm. Sar- I mean, at least the uh, the major one, Sarsipius Arc. I think that was '93. We need a. We, I need a judge to like do some rulings on. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and spe- speaking of Jane's, then you got pornos for Pyro. Is that a side well, project? But Jane's was over, James, right? Yeah, technically. But James then they yeah. they did reunite, and get back together. So you never, you know, <laughs> what when, what about in cases like that where it's like a band, like maybe they were done, maybe they were just on hiatus. What are you going to call it then? You know, is it a whole, you know, like uh, love spit love? Technically, the Ooh, second Fur's were on uh, 
hiatus, but they never broke up. You know, so I, are, is that a side project? Is it, you know? Ooh, I, and, that's... <laughs> in some ways, like Infectious Grooves is a good example, maybe of a pure one, because even though the record came out in 93, they spent a couple years playing then. I'm assuming they must have been like an L.A. band that got together when everybody was off tour and just did fun like party gigs and stuff, which makes it more like a real band. Um, yeah, it just seems like every musician, every band gets restless at one point, maybe with their own band or they're on a hiatus or they have a reason to, you know, get together in a studio, maybe for just one one off or whatever. I mean, just everybody collaborates with everybody. I mean, it should just be called incestuous grooves at this point. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Scott Witt over at Patreon said, Hater was one that I had high hopes for, was but was disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. Can I count pride and glory? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That is, of course, the Zach Wilde side project away from Black Label Society. Before Black Label Society. Yeah. That oh, was okay. his first oh, yeah. that was his first band before after Ozzy. Oh, okay. No, he was still yeah, in yeah. Ozzy. He was still yeah. playing with Ozzy when he did Pride so and Glory. So he's and, in Ozzy's Black Label Society and... too. Okay. Yeah. So it's definitely a side He says, if so, that ruled. Yeah, that's um, a pretty good record. He also said Down was fabulous too. Yep. Is Down a super yep. group or is it a side project? Now, a super a tough call too. can go on at the same time as your main band. I just feel like if it's like recognizable members of multiple bands, it's a super group. So you got Pepper Keenan and what's his face from Pantera? Like Phil right? and Soma. Yeah, Phil and Soma. So that's kind of the key members of those two bands. True. So I feel to like me, if, if Pantera was still together, which I think they were at the time, to me yeah. it's a side prop. Yeah, they were. Well, can, okay. In the in the Venn diagram of yeah. side project and supergroup, can a side project be a supergroup? Oh yeah. Wait, sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, what about let's go all the way back to like 1990, the Hindu Love Gods. You got REM with Warren Zevon. I mean, is that? Yeah. What do we call that? You know. Hmm. Mm. Two well-known entities, but it doesn't really sound like REM. And you know, it's just aside keeps getting from... muddier and muddier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not kidding. Uh, here's one that's going to blow your minds. Yeah, Cover- Coverdale Page. <laughs> Wait, when did that come out? Ninety-three. Uh, 93. Yeah, oh, yeah I totally remember that. Yeah. Well, Jimmy Page was not in Led Zeppelin at that point, right? Or the Therm. So I mean, yeah, yep. So and I, don't, I don't know the White Snake was very active. I don't know if they officially broke up, but they uh they were still together, but they were pretty much like their albums weren't really coming out in the States. They were only coming right. out like in Japan and overseas. Yep. Now Scott Witt also mentioned a band called Brugeria, which was members oh, yeah. of Faith No More, Fear Factory, and Jello Biafra. Wow. He said they had I lots of fun and what what were you saying, Jim? Oh, I'm just saying, I need to hear that. That sounds interesting. Yeah. He said, lots of fun, and the fact that they had people convinced that they were a Mexican drug cartel was nice. Okay, that's interesting. I've not, <laughs> I've not heard of that. That sounds like a supergroup to me, but I guess also could be a side project. One of the, uh, the bands that I think we definitely need to talk about, which Johnny Hooper mentioned, is The Breeders. Woohoo! 
Yes. He said, if you want to get technical, the Breeders were a side project of both the Pixies and fro- Throwing Muses. Mm. Yeah. I mean, uh, he, this is where I had to I had to throw down the law here. He said, I'm going to be controversial here and say Tin Machine. I never owned a Bowie record, but I had both of those Tin Machine LPs. Really love the energy of the first record. Unfortunately, that first record came out in 1989. It is not Dig Me Out eligible. <clears throat> And I felt like I could be wrong here. And we just talked about Tim Machine a couple weeks ago. I didn't, I mean, Bowie seemed to really like be very, I don't know. I'm just going by memory, uh, pretty clear that that was his band. No, did he treat it like a side project? No, I, I feel like from what those, when those two records came out, that was where, that was his band. Like he was in yeah. that band. So, yeah, no, I remember, I remember him uh, performing on Saturday Night Live and everything. And and he didn't, it's kind of a big deal. He didn't put out a solo record during that period, right? Like the the I don't think so, but I'd have to go check. I, just, I, I, I definitely remember him like taking it very seriously. Like it wasn't just a one-off kind of thing. Right. Uh he said uh that we uh did not like Hater, but that he loved that record. He also huh. really enjoyed the Wellwater Wellwater Conspiracy, which was Another side project in that same realm, uh, which I believe that band was also Ben Shepard, which was in who was in Hater with some other folks. They put out one album in the '90s and then one album in 2005. They finally followed it up, and then Keith Sawyer said, "The Rentals, anyone?" Oh that, yes, yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's a really good one because that came out between the first and second Weezer records. So clearly a side project. Mm -hmm. Um, And clearly only one known member of that band uh, was Matt Sharp. Uh, The other members of the band were not well known. They would become well known in the sense that Maya Rudolph was in that band as a backup singer. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) So a couple that did not get mentioned that I want to throw out there and we can discuss whether or not they're, they're side projects or not. Slash's Snake Pit. Mm. Was, was Guns N' Roses still together? He was technically still in Guns, I think, until really late in the 90s, technically. Yeah, and yeah. Eric, Do- Eric Dover was the singer who was in Jellyfish and Imperial Drag. Yeah. Right. So I guess that counts as a side project. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Uh, so here's a question. I mentioned earlier that Sean Smith is is kind of not well known in in terms of mainstream with his work with uh, Pigeonhead and and uh, Satchel. Steve Fisk was I don't want to say well known, but he had a an important producing career. So is, but he also was a solo artist. Is Pigeonhead a side project for Steve Fisk? I always thought of that as his band, like his main band or musical outlet. Hmm. Okay. Because he does have stuff that he released just under his own name. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll have to ask him next time we have him on. Uh, here's a couple more. The Amps, that was a side project derived from a side project. Yep. yep. The, yeah, yep. It's an inception of side projects. <laughs> Isn't it kind of like the Sebado into Folk Implosion? Exactly. Yeah. I like that. I like when we have two tier side projects. That's that's an that's a interesting descent there. One that we didn't mention, Three Fish. 
Anybody Jeff remember Arment. Three Fish? Yeah, yeah Jeff yep. Arment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember re- that, that. Now that goes under the example of you heard about it because it was like on MTV or or in some magazine, like Rolling Stone. Like Jeff Arment has a solo record coming out under the name Three Fish, and then he got here like, what is this? Uh, it it got changed to uh three cents a couple years later yeah that was was one that was was often available (laughs) in in the discount bins yeah for sure Anyone, any else, uh, other than uh, bands that I'm missing? I have, um, I have by I have far. The, let's have a quick competition. Hold on. Okay. Well, uh, you're gonna win this one. Everybody get a slot. Okay. Okay. Put out. I'm sure you all have ones that Tim hasn't mentioned. The most bizarre side project you can come up with from your list. Oh, I'll start God. with Jeff. Is it Moist Boys? <laughs> from like the guys is it just the guys from ween and uh it's it's failing me right now but yeah i just i remember coming across that uh, at one point because i was at, at once i discovered chocolate and cheese by ween i was kind of like okay let's go down this rabbit hole for a while <laughs> and I, I came across that record at one point and was like huh okay yeah this is a lot crazier and heavier um but i can't yeah i can't remember who else was in that besides a member of ween but that's that's one that I did have on my list. Nice, Joe. I don't think I have one for most bizarre. I have other <laughs> bands, but not for most bizarre. Uh, yeah, I have to get back on most bizarre. Okay, Tim, what do you got? You got anything? Um, probably the most bizarre one would be there is a, an, I I'm not super familiar with it, but there's a band called Looper, which is mm-hmm. um, Bell and Sebastian. Uh, they uh. They basically took like the weird spoken word parts of their catalog and like turned it into entire band. I don't know how else to describe it, hmm. but it's it's the members of Looper or members of Bell and Sebastian doing this weird side project thing. Yeah, that's I I not thought of the Moist Boys for a long time. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I spelled yeah, it, it was- with a Z. Right, right. Yeah, it was um, the basis from Queens of the Stone Age was in that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There's some interesting. Lots of interesting drugs members. involved then. For All sure. Right. <laughs> so here's my question: You're counting solo albums released at the time when a person is active in a band as a side project. So is Elliot Smith a side project with his solo records? Because he was in Heat Miser. Mm. Ooh. 
Because his early solo stuff, when he was an Eat Miser, is pretty stripped down and bare bones. Yeah, I think com- so. Compared to the more produced stuff on like EXO and and the later records. So I would say the the records released up until when Heat Miser officially breaks up or side yeah. project. Okay. Yeah. Elliot Smith, you're a side project. So uh, for my most bizarre, it was bizarre at the time. And when I remembered it, I'm still in shock that it ever happened. Um, it's The Last Hard Men. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Wow. Jimmy Flemian from The Frogs, Kelly Deal from The Breeders. Oh, yeah. Jimmy Chamberlain from The Pumpkins and Sebastian Bach from Skid Row. <laughs> did they record anything? They did. They did. Did they, did they do a whole album or was it just like something from uh, the soundtrack? They did a whole – I was just looking it up. I thought they had just done a soundtrack, but I looked it up and it looks like a record did come out in – two. they recorded it in like 98, but it didn't come out until 2001. It still counts. Yeah, the cover art looks like green jelly or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have never wow. heard that. I am fascinated to hear that now. We haven't mentioned Mad Season, but right. I feel like that band, it teeters the line of supergroup and side project because obviously you have Lane Staley, who's very well known. Um, you have Mike McCready. I guess and he's Barrett a key, Martin. And yeah, I guess those are key mm-hmm. members of, of other, I mean, obviously Mike McCready's a you know, a key member of Pearl Jam. So I guess it's a super group as much as it is a side project. But it also kind of sounds like, I mean, there are elements that sound like Alice in Chains. Like, I don't know anything no. sounds like an Alice in Chains song. Oh, for sure. So it's it teaches the line between side project and, and super yeah. group. Yeah. I, and I do want to go back. I mentioned uh, when I was uh, earlier, I had said that uh, most of these records kind of sound like the bands that they came from. But I will say that when Brad shame came out uh, most folks were expecting it to sound like pearl jam and it does not sound like pearl jam at all it does sound like satchel in some places but right i didn't even know who satchel was until years later so no the the second record is much more conventional in terms of being a a guitar rock record which is interiors it came out in 96 and i think that's what people were probably more expecting Mm -hmm. with with the first record One I wanted to mention was Port of Static, which is Mac from Super Chunk. That was his solo outlet, and then it turned into a full band after, I guess, a record or two. You know, much more stripped down, much different sound uh, than Super Chunk in terms of like using drum loops and, and stuff like that. So I guess that would be a side project for him. And uh, since, you know, Super Chunk was always ongoing for him. I, when did the first Jerry Cantrell record come out? Was Allison Chain still together? Mm, I, don't, I don't think so. Because that came out in the I, 90s. I, yeah, I think they were, well, they yeah. were, I mean, they were technically together for several years. 
when yeah before Lane Staley died, like he was yeah. like MIA, but they were still technically a band. Yeah, I can't so remember if it came out after their their unplugged appearance or not, because I remember that being huge and like obviously with jar of flies and then the unplugged it was like oh man they can really strip it down and be beautiful came um, out in, came out in 98 oh hmm. boggy depot was the first one yeah right all right here's one that has not come up and i i'm again this falls into the supergroup versus side projects neurotic outsiders yeah to me, that's like uh, yeah. Imperial Drag or the Grays, because none of those bands were together, right? Well, the uh, no. Duran Duran, Duran oh, Duran was still together. Oh, you're right. Yeah, you're yeah, right. no, they were. Um, Duff McKagan was he still in Guns N' Roses at that point? I don't. Um, Matt Sorum was he still in Guns N' Roses at that point? Ninety five. Well, well, technically, Guns was he in the cult? Had, hadn't split up yet. No, he was in the cult before Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Okay. And uh, like, uh, way later. Well, we could, um, yeah, because technically, was Guns N' Roses was still around as like those guys, but like, what was that song they did for? Um, oh, the Spaghetti Incident. No, it was post Spaghetti Incident. It was for that. Um, they did a movie for a, a Arnold Schwarzenegger movie soundtrack. Movie. Yeah, yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. That's what I'm trying to think. I it's, it was a cover, wasn't it? Oh no no no! Oh no, yeah, I, I, don't... I think it was Interview with a Vampire. They did a cover. No, of... it was called yeah. Oh My God. Oh and wait, it, yeah. And it was on like it was either on like Eraser or it, oh, one of those Sixth Day end, or end of, something. End of days. End of days. maybe. Yeah. So I think technically. Guns N' Roses hadn't split up and like Axel hadn't gone his separate ways. Well, and also, so. we can't forget. So that album came out. They actually put out an album in 1996. Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols was in that band. The Sex yep. Pistols reunited in 1996. That's uh, when they went yeah. on that like, you know, reunion tour. So yep. technically the Sex Pistols were re- reunited at that point. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I've, so... I've got one one other band we haven't mentioned yet that definitely falls in their side project. But, you know, again, for a guy who maybe wasn't necessarily well-known is now not just for being in a couple different bands, but also for being a producer, uh, Adam Schleichinger, he had Fountains of Wayne, but also at the same time had Ivy. Oh yeah. Ivy's great. I forgot all yeah. about that one. Yeah. And there's a band, two bands that sound nothing alike, but I love both of them. So for sure. Good choice. So let's pick, Go around, pick one band that you wish had released more material. You know, we like we, we like to have these bands have at least one album. What are the ones where you're like, I wish I would have heard a second or a third record from an artist? Jim, I'll start, or from a side project. I'll start with you, Jim. Um, well, I, I know this is, again, this is probably more in the 2000s, but I'm still eager for another Loose Fur record. Okay. Um, yeah, because... I mean, I, I know they had two, but I, I just liked, especially the first one. But yeah, I really, yeah. liked the, I really liked the collaboration between those three talents. Um, and I, you know, I wouldn't mind hearing some more from Imperial Teen because I remember picking up uh, their record Seasick and just kind of being in love with it at the time because I loved that power pop sound and it sounded nothing like Faith No More. And um, you know, the Rentals, sure, let's just throw them in there as well in the mix because. Uh, I, I feel like they put out again, maybe in 2014, they might have put out a new record. Yeah. I still haven't caught up with it. 
I think I think it was called like Seven Seconds or something like that. Something in the title were there, but there was there was a record that came out in in the late two thousands or something. Uh but but got no like no coverage. So Jay, what about you? I'll go with the the big one, Temple the Dog. I, I still feel sure. like that album holds up yeah. so well. Yeah, um sure. every time whenever I go back to it, I'm always surprised at just how good the songs are and um it's obviously even sadder now that, you know, there's no possibility with Chris Cornell gone. They can't even do like reunion shows. Um, so would have loved to have gotten, you know, kind of a mid to late nineties, uh, record out of them. I think it would maybe when Soundgarden was, um, you know, kind of hitting their, uh, vanilla period where they were having a lot of hits, but maybe not creatively as inspired. It would have been interesting to hear, uh, him go back to this band maybe before he did a solo record. Joe, any any particular bands that you would like to hear? Um, like to have heard more material? I would have. Well, I'm going to say Mad Season, even though they did actually record more material without Lane Staley, but with uh, Mark Lingen from the Screaming Trees on lead vocals, which they put out on the anniversary issue of the uh, Mad Season album. And that stuff it was. I think there's like six tracks from the second album they were working on that never got hmm. made. Uh, that stuff is fantastic. Um, and if you ever heard uh, Mike McCready put together like a live concert of it's kind of like a little bit of Temple of the Dog, a little bit of Mad Season stuff, and Cornell actually sang lead vocals, and they had some other people from Seattle sing lead on some tracks. I forget the name of that record, but it's a great came out what maybe three years ago. Yeah, but a great album, and I would love to have heard more music from the Grays too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, one that I got to word this right. The Twilight Singers original vision for that band. Yeah. I would have liked to have heard <laughs> yeah. because there actually are songs that were recorded as the, the three piece of happy and Sean and Greg that are pretty interesting and are only available in like a demo form. Thanks to the internet and the album that, we got while it's interesting is definitely Greg Dooley's vision of what he wanted. I understand yeah. he's a very controlling and, and, you know, um, you know, he wants it done his way sort of thing, which is fine, but I really wanted a record and, you know, a second record of those three equally contributing to a singular vision. And we never got that. And we never really got the first album that we thought we were going to get when we heard about it. Um, the other one is I would love to hear another Amps record, which is mm. um, just that sort of stripped down lo-fi version of what was done on that record. I love like Tip City and and the um, the sound of that record. It's very jagged and and you know the Breeders at that point had gotten a, you know they were commercial. It was a big pop record not pop record, but it was a, it was a bigger sound than what the amps were. So I think another amps record would be cool. Just throw, you know, that's kind of thing that now that could happen easily. Thanks to, you know, like a pledge music campaign or, or something along those lines. And yeah. I love another pigeon head record, to be honest. I don't know if that's a side project or a super group or what the heck it is, but I'd l- really like one. <laughs> Speaking yeah, there's, 
No, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, speaking of, like, I wanted to make this point earlier, but speaking of the Amps being a side project out of a side project, would you not also consider Belly the same thing? Because you had well, Tanya Donnelly yeah. thro- throwing muses. She was on the first Breeders album. But and she then quit throwing Belly. muses to form Belly, didn't she? Uh, no, because she, she was on the first Breeders album, too. Uh, yeah, she was. Did the Belly album come out before or after the Breeders? After. It was after the yeah. first Breeders album. But, I mean... And that's that's again that's a tricky one. Okay, so let's pick. Since we're in the final, about ten minutes here of the show, our favorite, number one all-time favorite side projects of the '90s. Joe, which is the one? Which is your uh, favorite Tem- side project? Temple of the Dog. Okay, Jim. With Temple of the Dog being a really strong runner-up, I have a huge fondness, and I'm a big fan of the band Yola Tango. And uh, the bass player put out a bunch of, I, I guess they're considered like you know his own home recordings, but again, to me it was always considered a side project, but his side project was called Dump. Oh. And uh, there's a record called A Plea for Tenderness that I go back to quite often because it's just, it's got that lo-fi Yola Tango feel to it, but a lot of it does sound like, yeah, he just kind of did it on, you know, on his own in his own spare time. And it's just really, it's really sweet and intimate and uh, another extension of that great band. So I, I, I keep going back to it a lot. So it's dump a plea for tenderness is kind of one of my choices. Jay. What is your number one choice? I will go with Brad Shame. Um, I remember, you know, the when the news about when the record was being made, and then I didn't check it out for maybe a year or two after it came out, and it quickly found its way in a bargain bin. Um, and the reason I'm picking it is because it it was more for my discovery of Sean Smith, who became a huge favorite of mine from that point forward, and one of those people that it took me years because this is really pre-internet to dig up who he was and what other bands he was in and sort of followed his career from that point forward. So um, I think that one had the biggest impact on me. And I'm going to pick Jay, a band that you mentioned, which is golden smog. Mm, Uh, Yeah. You know, that's, that's one that I saw actually saw them live in concert. I was a huge fan of that whole alternative country sound in the, in the nineties with uncle Tupelo and, Wilco and Sunvold and the Jayhawks. And um, that band to me was just a lot of fun. It is exactly what a side project would should be, which is you do what you do, but you do a little bit differently. And it's also a lot of fun. You know, when they made that first record, they actually made it under under pseudonyms mm-hmm. so that they because yeah. they couldn't use their actual <laughs> names right, uh, yeah. in making the record because yeah. they're all on different record labels at that time, which is funny to think of now, like they were all concerned about record labels and, um, but, uh, it's just, it, it showcases all of their songwriting talents, but in unique ways. And they all combine in, in unique and different ways. And it's just a, a lot of fun. And, um, I even like the second record a lot that they did. And the, and the, the first EP that they did is great too. Not just, uh, the album, but their, their first covers EP that they did with Dave Perner uh, singing Shooting Star, cover of uh, Bad Company, and there's some other great covers on there. So, hmm. uh, we're gonna we're gonna 
do a little bonus content. If people want to join us over at Patreon, we're going to talk about uh, maybe some side projects that didn't happen but should have. So uh, we're going to you know, pontificate upon uh, our imagination. If you'd like to join us there, you can go to patreon.com forward slash dig me out for as little as a buck a month. And you will get access to our bonus content, which includes the first episode of Dig Me Out 80s, which was recently launched. And uh, we covered, uh, we re- or we revisited the 1980 album Nuclear Days by The Vapors. So you can go to Patreon to check that out, as well as other bonus content and our upcoming third quarter giveaway, which we'll be announcing soon. And of course, uh, if you like what you heard, all that kind of stuff, go to iTunes. Uh, Joe, thanks for coming back. Thank you guys. For Where can people me find back. you on the internet? You can find me at Sit and Spin with Joe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and YouTube. Most yeah, YouTube is the other big one. So. Heard of it? Heard of it? Heard of YouTube? Think they're doing okay? Uh, Jim, thanks for for coming on. And oh, uh, this was a blast, man. I I hope to return again. And yeah, uh, people can check me out. Yes. Now playing network.net, which hosts a lot of great uh, podcasts, including Vinyl Emergency, which yep. I'm assuming everybody's a fan of here. And yep. also uh, now playing gym.com, which has got a lot of my music on there. So check that awesome. out too. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our facebook twitter and instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com Smell.